home. So we're going to be in uh, Romans 1. Gonna be, the bookmark is where. Yeah, should be the, the bookmark there. Uh, about two thirds of the way back in the Bible. We're going to be in verses uh, 24 through 32. So as we get there, uh, you know, kind of thinking this week and look, reading through this and looking stuff, and uh, reminded me of how I was raised as a child. I think uh, people that maybe come from my generation can relate to we're raised in a way a little different than. And kids are today, not say it was better. Uh, and when I say my generation, I'm talking about those of you who can remember a time before the internet, uh, when, when phones were connected to the wall, and there was no privacy, <coughs> we had telephone booths, you knew when the light came on outside, it was time to come home. Uh, so that, in other words, if you're old, you'll relate to this. But uh, my dad referred to this kind of learning, the way he kind of raised me, as the school of hard knocks. We learned things the hard way. Uh, Again, not to say this is right, but it's, it's kind of how, how we went through things. I remember my dad would, would watch me as I was doing something. And as long as I wasn't going to, like, seriously hurt myself or, or burn the house down or something of that nature, he would let me go ahead and do it. And then as I'm standing there, you know, wiping away my, my, my wounds and, and licking my pride, uh, he would look at me and he'd go, well, I bet you're not going to do that again. Yeah. The whole idea was that we would learn from our mistakes. As we made these mistakes, it would help us to, to, to not make them again. But unfortunately, we do continue to make them again. I, I tell my boys, as they do something, and I see that they've already done it once, uh, I, I will remind them that a cat will only sit on a hot stove once. Or uh, as a union iron worker and had a lot of guys that weren't real sharp, uh, unfortunately. I mean, that's why we do it. And I'd see them do the same thing over. I would tell them, you know, a chicken's got a brain the size of a pea, and it knows to get out of the rain. So let's not keep making these mistakes. Uh, but we do. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with one of my children this week uh, who struggles with mornings, uh, really struggles with going to school. And Mondays especially are bad, but it, it transverses. It goes through the whole week, and, and he gets angry, and he gets frustrated, and he, and he projects that on others. And we talked about well, when you project that, and... What do you think you're going to get? Has it ever gotten you anything good out of it? And he goes, no. I go, well, then why do you continue to do it? Why do you continue to do the same thing over and over and think you're going to get a different result? That is actually the definition of lunacy. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know why I continue to do it, but he does. Well, that's us as people, especially when it comes to sin. We continue to do sin over and over. We need God to intervene in our lives. We need him to intervene with us, because if we don't, if we're left to our own means, we will continue to spiral further and further down into sin. Now Paul, as he's going through this, this passage, he's concluding this, this section where he's, he's shown them that God has naturally presented himself to them, yet they've denied him, and, and there's consequences for this, for this denial. And it applies to all people. And so, as we read, we're going to read 24 through 32. I want you to keep your eyes open. There's a, there's a, ver, or a phrase that, that is used three times. And whenever we see God's word repeated, it should give us a, a, a tap on the shoulder to say, hey, let's, let's look up, let's look at this, let's pay attention to what God's saying. Christ did it quite often when he would say, truly, truly. That's his way of saying, hey, you, you need to be listening to me. But I want you to kind of watch for these three phrases because they're going to be the focus of this passage. So let's read, beginning in verse 24, let me read through 32. Paul writes, Therefore, God gave them over in their lust to, the, to their hearts of impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, 
and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned their natural function uh, for the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but have also, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. Father, uh, speak into us today as we look at what these consequences of sin are, of, of denying who you are, Father. I pray you'll speak into to each of us today to let us walk in obedience to your desires. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And so I mentioned there was three, three uh, passages mentioned three times, or a, a, a section. Did you guys notice what it was? It said, he said, God gave them over. He repeats three times that God gave them over. Now this idea of God giving them over, it's rooted in the Old Testament. Of course, Paul, who had been well-educated, well-trained in the, the scriptures, he, he's pointing back to that on, on purpose. It's, this idea was that God would hand over the Israelites uh, to, to be defeated in battle to their enemies, not as a form of punishment, but actually as a, as a way to humble them and to get them to be drawn closer to God, to see their need for God, that they couldn't do it on their own. And so now Paul here, Paul is talking about how he's going to hand over, God's going to hand people over. And he talks about it in three ways. That's what we're going to look at, is these three ways that God has handed man over. He first talks about how God has handed him over to the sins of the heart. God has handed man over to the sins of his heart. Right there, verse 24 says, Then therefore, God gave him over. Therefore, he's talking about the wrath of God. The wrath that God is bestowing upon us. That God has gave them over in their lusts of their heart. Give them over to what they want in their heart. Remember, Paul just talked about before that they've had the choice between an immortal God and the idols of this earth. The things of this earth, and they chose idols. Says that God says that, or Paul says that, that they've denied who God is. He's naturally revealed himself, and they've denied it, and they've chosen the idols of this earth. And so, because their hearts are not for God, because their hearts are seeking things other than Him, Paul says that God's going to hand them over. He's going to give them what their hearts desire. See, God, God loves us and wants a relationship with each one of us. But God's not going to force Himself force you to love him. And I have people say, well, why not? Why doesn't God just make everybody love him? Well, that's no true love. Would you want your spouse to love you only because you can make them love you? Would you want your children to love you only because I said so? No. Well, God's the same way. And so God gives us what we want. You know, the old saying is, God doesn't send anybody to hell. He gives people what they want. If they want eternal separation from him, if they don't want to be with him, that's what he gives them. That's the love he has. And so God hands them over to the sins of their heart. He gives them over to what they want. The thing that they desired, the sin of not being with him. 
And look, this isn't, I don't want you to think this is, this is God driving people to sin. Don't misconstrue this, that well, God's driving man to sin. No, he's not. James tells us that God does not tempt us. He's not driving us towards sin. He's simply letting go of that wrath. You see, that, that wrath that Paul talks about there in verse, in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed, that is nothing more. What he's saying is that is God simply releasing his grip. He's, he's relinquishing that grip. It's not an outpouring of, of a penalty because he's upset. It's not. No, he's simply giving sinners what they've sown. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he's going to also reap. By God release, just, just relinquishing and letting that wrath, the consequences of sin, that's, it's, it's the fruits of rebellion, is what they've sown. And it's this consequence for sin. You see, sin has a penalty due for it. There's a consequence for it. Sin is not harmless. This idea that, well, it's only hurting me is a lie. All sin hurts beyond ourselves. If a person commits adultery, not only are they sinning against God because they're not fulfilling their, their duty as a husband and wife, but they're also, if that person is married, that they're committing adultery with, now they're being brought into sin. They're hurting their families. Their families are being hurt by this sin. The spouse is now struggling with, with what's going on. The kids, they may be struggling at work and at school. We see that sin is never harmless. It's never just on us. It affects so much more. And so, Paul says there's a consequence for this. God is withdrawing his influence from disobedient idolaters. By giving them over to the desire of their hearts, he's saying that God is just withdrawing his influence. Think about it like this. See, come from Missouri. I was an iron worker for a lot of years. Built a lot of bridges over the rivers. And we've got big rivers down in Missouri. Up here, we got the Merrimack. This is not a big river. We've got the Missouri River and the Mississippi River that run through the state. And they push a lot of water. The Merrimack runs about, I did some looking at it, runs about an Olympic swimming pool worth of water every 12 seconds. It goes downstream. The Missouri, it's a little over a swimming pool every second. And the Mississippi is almost seven Olympic-sized swimming pools every second are going downstream. We have big rivers, and they push a lot of water. But when you're doing this work out there, you put out a big barge. And you get up on this barge, you set your cranes all up on it, and this river is pushing on us. It's trying to shove this, this barge downstream. It's trying to drag it down beyond where we need to work. And so what we do is we go out and we either drive mooring into the, into the river, or we drop these spuds, and these, they go down into the mud and down into the dirt, and they lock in, and then we tie the barges up to them. And these moorings... What they do is they, they give a solid foundation. They keep the bars from being swept downstream and allow us to do what we need to do. Well, that barge is our lives. That's our life that we're walking, that we're living. The river, that is sin that's constantly pushing against us, that's constantly trying to drag us downstream. And that mooring, that's God. That's the solid foundation. Without him, swept away. What Paul is saying is God simply is letting go of the rope. He's letting go of the rope and handing them over to their sins and letting sin drag them down. 
if we don't have God, if we're not rooted firmly in God, we're not following in His will, there's nothing's going to keep us from being swept down stream through the river of sin. Without that solid foundation, there's nothing that's going to keep us from drowning in our own sin. It's not being a good person. It's not doing good things. There's, it's not our, our hearts are evil. It's, it's sick. So it's not within us. And don't buy this idea that if I do good things, I'm going to get good things in return. That's a lie. Because all, everything we do is, is sought out of selfishness and, and out of pride. Without God to be the standard, there's nothing that's keeping us from, from doing evil. Church isn't even going to. Coming to church is not going to keep you out of sin. If you're coming to church to get that check mark, that's not keeping you from sin. That's not a firm foundation. That's, that's, just, that's just something to do. And we all know pastors, priests, people within the church, members in church who have done atrocious atrocious sins, horrible things. They've heard God's word, but they weren't rooted in Him, and they've done horrible things. Listen, we're all just one sin away from ruining our testimony. Every one of us. And so the question might be, well, well if, if they go to church, if they're going, how come, how come they're succumbing to sin? Well, Paul says right there in verse 25. It says, For they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've exchanged the truth of God. Again, he's naturally revealed himself, and they chose idols. They, they, they denied the very God, the very creator of this earth. And instead of focusing on him, it says they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Paul's saying that they had the choice of God, and they chose the created thing. They chose the gold. They chose the bird, the mountain, the thunder, nature. They chose themselves instead of the one who created every one of those. And, he, and to really kind of to drive that point home, he says, talks about the creator. He's saying, who's blessed forever? They're, they're ignoring the one who is eternal or the things of this earth. And when we focus on that, when, when, when we take our eyes off God and focus on that, it's, it's idolatry. And idolatry will always lead to a separation from Him. The question for you right now is, think for a moment, what are the idols in your life? What are the idols? What are the things in our lives that are keeping us from God? What's causing you to not worship God? What are you worshiping in this world? Oh, I, I don't I don't have any idols. I don't worship. I don't I'm not worshiping anything else. Because I think when we think worshiping idols, we think getting down on our hands and knees and, and praying and bowing to it. But most Christians don't even get down on their knees and, and, and prayer and reverence to the holy God. So they're not going to get down to their idol and do it. But what is your idol? Maybe your idol is money. Are you more focused on going out and earning a paycheck, more focused on making money than you are on being the husband, father, wife, mother that God's called you to be? That's our first ministry. That's what God's called us all to is our family. They're a gift from Him. Are you more focused on making that double time on Sunday than going to church? 
Is it taking the place of God? And listen, I can, I can hear that, well, I've got you. I, we, we've got so many bills, we've got this to take care of. And I don't know all your circumstances, but I can tell you from, from my experience, from where I was, I need to change my lifestyle. I was letting my money dictate how I live my life. And I lost a lot because, but I lost a lot of time. I worked on holidays, I worked on birthdays, I worked on Christmas, Easter, 4th of July, time that I can't ever get back with my family, and that money's gone. That money was an idol. Maybe, maybe sports are an idol. Maybe sports are an idol. Maybe, maybe when you open your calendar up in your phone, because nobody uses a real calendar anymore, and you look at your phone, maybe it looks more like a, a Major League Baseball schedule with 180 games, something every day of the week, than it should. And so now, you, you go with, with Jim to lacrosse, and I'm going to take Johnny, and I'm going to go to soccer, and we'll, hopefully one of us will be able to get Janie to basketball, and, and we'll just get dinner, just grab something, and I'll see you when I see you. Again, we're not living out what God's called us to. We're not using the time he's given us in a wise way. Maybe, maybe time is your idol. You know, it's created by God. It says that they were worshiping the things that God created. Maybe time's your idol. Do you make time for God? Do you make time to pray? Do you make time to be in His Word? Or are you just too busy? Got too much stuff going on in my life. It'll, it'll be okay. I'll just go get that check mark on Sunday and I'll be good. And listen, this isn't to say, Paul, Paul's not saying, don't, don't misconstrue me. Don't, I'm not saying that you can't go make money and that you can't play sports and you can't stay busy in your life. You can do all of those. But when they become more important to you, than being with the Creator. When they become more important to you, well then He's just going to hand you over to those. He's going to let you have those. And then what ends up happening is you end up missing that relationship with Him. The relationship you were created for. And so Paul has said that God's going to give them over to the sins of their heart. And we see the sins of their heart lead to impurity. It says it leads to these their bodies being dishonored. And then he talks about the second way God gives them over. In verse 26, for God gave them over to the great passion. He gave them over to the sins of the flesh. If the sins of the heart are going to lead to impurity, well, the sins of the flesh are going to lead to it also. It all runs downhill. And listen, this is a, a section here that is, in this day and age, is not... A session is talked about. We've glossed over it. And we're not going to beat this to death, but this is God's word. We believe God's word is true in all parts of it. So we're going to we're going to talk about it. Right. Paul is writing here, he's talking about homosexuality. He's writing to the Church of Rome, and let's keep this in context. He's writing to the Church of Rome. In Rome, homosexuality was not only accepted, it was actually encouraged. Uh, historians have actually come to understand through the study of, of, of writings and all that of the first 15 emperors in Rome, that's up, including Nero, only one was heterosexual. It was a common practice. And so Paul's not just degrading them. He's not just berating on them to, to be a homophobe. That seems to be any time in this, this day and age, if we talk about something that, that goes against what somebody else likes, the, the, the instant term is we've got to make it a something-phobe. That you're just living out of fear. No. Paul is, is writing to them about what God's Word says in a way they're going to understand. Something tangible they can understand. And what he's writing in this passage, he's, he's saying that the, the, the lifestyle that they're doing, 
He's showing that this denial of God leads to that which is unnatural. By denying God, it's going to lead to the unnatural. Homosexuality is procreation contrary to what God's design is. Plain and simple, it is. This isn't about berating people. This is just the natural facts. God's word says that the procreation was given between a male and a female so that they could go and multiply and fill or fill the whole world. That's it. Not only just for man and woman, he gives it to the animals, but it's given to male and female to go and to multiply, to, to grow in number. Left to its own means by itself, homosexuality cannot multiply. It's not fulfilling the natural pro, uh, uh, order that God had created. So this isn't this isn't trying to condemn. This is just stating facts. Again, remember, without God intervening, our, our sins are going to cause us to, to go deeper and deeper into, into to worse and worse sins. It's just going to get more and more wicked in its ways. Well, Paul here, writing about homosexuality, we see that today with the where it's progressed to. It's no longer just about homosexuality. homosexuality. It's about all, all means of, of denying God's truth. Now we, we see the people that talk about asexual, pansexual, bisexual, transsexual. We're denying that, that I'm not a man, I'm a woman. And women saying they're men. Or non-binary, I'm neither. They're denying the truth of who we are. It's simply denying the truth of who God <coughs> has created us to be. Denying it. it's, it's that fleshly desire has led down a rabbit hole that, that gets worse and worse. And listen, this isn't just about LGBTQ, it's not. Paul used an example, but we can, this goes for any, any desire of the flesh that goes against God's natural way. Again, we go back to adultery. That's against God's way. That's not his will, it's unnatural. It's supposed to be one man with one woman. Child abuse. Pornography. All of these go contrary to what God's design is. And so any of them would fit in there. Any of these desires lead down this same, same rabbit hole. And the point that Paul's trying to make with this is there's no greater slavery than to be given up to our own lusts. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no greater slavery than to be given up to your own lusts. Women today Young girls today are using their bodies to find their worth. TikTok, Instagram, social media, they're there hardly wearing any clothes, dancing around provocatively. They're doing it to get these little fake likes that mean nothing because it makes them feel better about themselves. Men use sex to try and feel more powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm the alpha male because I have this long list of conquests. That's, that's not... God's design, and unfortunately for them, for people that follow this path, they end up feeling more empty and more worthless than when they began. You see, our worth is not found in the desires of our flesh. Our worth is found in Jesus Christ. The one who takes us from brokenness and gives us new life. We don't have to find worth in this, this broken, sinful life. He gives us new life. So the sins of the heart and the sins of the flesh, they culminate. 
into the final, final sins that we see Paul talking about. And that's the sins of self. And these may be the worst of all. Because these are focused inward. These sins of self. Starting at verse 28, he, he, he says that, that they just quit on God. They just give up on Him. They said they don't need Him. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, He had revealed Himself to them, but they denied it. They said, no, you know what? I want my sin instead. I want these other things instead. But Paul says that ultimately that leads to God giving them over to their depraved mind. That word depraved, that's a big word. That word actually means worthless. He's getting over to a worthless mind. It also means he's handing them over to a reprobate mind. We probably, you, you, your version may say that. Also, it means a, a useless mind. This idea that it's useless. That people who have turned from God are disqualified from, from being able to understand and acknowledge his will. Because they're so consumed by their sin, they can't even understand what his will is. They can't decide, they can't think about and decide correctly about moral decisions, anything in life. This useless mind, it can't fulfill its natural functions. The function was to focus on God. But now we don't even know right from wrong, good from evil, what pleases him, what displeases him. The mind becomes so inwardly focused, it becomes worthless. So Paul gives them over, or Paul says that God gives them over these depraved minds to do the things that are not proper. Do things that are not proper. They can't even make conscious moral decisions. Because we've changed what's amoral, and we're trying to say it's now moral. We're turning from right to wrong and calling it correct. And then Paul, he starts to give this list of vice. This is the longest list that Paul gives in the New Testament, anybody gives the New Testament, on these vices, this brokenness. There's 21 things he lists here. And it's not all-inclusive. This isn't everything. But we can see a structure forming in it, which really emphasizes what happens when God lets go of the rope, when God re relinquishes that grasp and lets his wrath flow, the consequences of sin. And so in the first four that he lays out here, these, are, these four are at the root of all sins. He says the, these people who, who have denied God, these people who have given it over to the hearts of their, or their sins of their hearts and sins of their flesh, ultimately leads to them being filled with unrighteousness. Remember, unrighteousness means an injustice towards others. All sin is rooted in that, that idea of injustice towards others. We're not treating others like we should. He says that gives them over to wickedness. This is vile and, and, and sinister ways. Hands them over. They, 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 they start to develop this, this greed, this desire for more. That they're never happy with enough. They're, never, they're not happy with God. They're not going to be happy with anything else in this world. And so they're going to want more and more. And he also uses the word evil, which that's just moral destruction. And and. The difference between evil and wickedness here is someone who abuses a person, who, who beats on their wife or who abuses a child, whatever, that, that's, that's, that's just wickedness. That's just vile. Someone who is killing people, 
because of their race, their gender, their, their sexual preference, whatever it is, that's evil. That's just pure moral destruction. The most common example of evil, of course, is Adolf Hitler and the moral destruction there that he showed. Paul then goes into the next section there, saying that they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He lists five there. These are this desire because we are being consumed at the root by these first ones. This leads us to this desire for more, this desire for, for other things. Envy. That's, man, I want what you've got. I'm not happy with what God's given me. I want what you've got. Murder. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, up to including taking away from you the very life God's given you. Not to say that all people don't become murderers, but you're never, you'll do whatever it takes. We are people that talk about climbing the corporate ladder, doing whatever it takes, treating people horribly, to be able to get more, because they want more. Strife, it's this anger. Man, I'm mad at you, because you've got something and I don't have it. Man, so now I'm mad at you now, and I'm angry all the time. Deceit, I'm going to lie, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to get what I want. I'll lie about it even. If it means you get in trouble. We see this, 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 this compounding malice, a word we probably don't use as much, but it's this ill will. Man, I hope something happens to them. That way I can get that position. Maybe you have ill will going down the road, and we've all made a mistake. Someone cuts you off, and, and maybe we say something to them, and I hope they, hope they get in a wreck. Man, we don't really mean that. We don't really mean that. I hope we don't really mean that. I hope our hearts aren't that dark and that broken. But I'm sure we've all done something on that. We can see that effects of sin, that corrupting. And actually, that's where the last ones come down to. Is it's the, the, the last 12, they, they show the brokenness that comes from the corrupting of sin. He says they are gossips, slanders, haters of God. This idea that they don't talk good about anybody. Not even God. Man, they, they don't talk well about anybody. He says it. He says it. They're insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors, evil. Inventors of evil. Not just inventors. Inventors of evil. They're coming up with these, these moral destructive ways to do things. Disobedient. He says, man, their hearts are hardened. They don't care about anybody else. They're uncaring. They're unloving. He says they don't understand. They're untrustworthy. We just see this, this corruption when we're handing over, handing over to ourselves just how it just keeps enveloping us and swallowing us up and we become worse and worse. So that need that we have for God to keep us from falling into that, to hold us back. And Paul says that all of this comes about, all of this, this brokenness, this corruption of sin, It ultimately leads to the ultimate penalty. He says they're without excuse. In verse 32, it says, and although they know the ordinance of God, he says they're without excuse. They know this. They're denying God. Those who practice such things are worthy of death. They know there should be a penalty. They know this. Though they know the ordinance is that those who practice such things are without death. So they know that their sin has a consequence. Paul's saying that they know there's a consequence for their sin. And yet, even though they know this, even though they see this, 
He says, not only do they approve of their sins, but they encourage others to follow too. This corruption, when we're corrupted, not only are we corrupted, we want to corrupt others with us. We want to bring others into that pit. Man, misery loves company. And so it's not just enough that I'm there. I need you to come with me. I need you to come into this brokenness too. Well, this world right now, this world that's around us, it's trying to convince us about sin, that we need to do sin. It's trying to, to push sin into the world. We see it all over. You do you. You do what makes you happy. You do what makes you feel good. It's okay. Don't worry about what anybody else says, as long as you're good with it. Oh, that's not really a sin. That's, a, that's, just, that's, that's just man trying to control you. That's just, that's just a, a, from an archaic way. <clears throat> that's how you were created. You just do you. Well, that sin has a consequence. God will let you do it. If that's what you want, he's going to let you do it. He's going to hand you over to it. But that sin has a consequence. The wages of sin is death. It's the price that has to be paid. But the gospel is the answer to that consequence. The gospel is what we need. If, if God's giving us over to our sin, is Him releasing the rope, Him letting go of the rope, then Jesus is the life jacket that we need to save us from drowning in our sins. Jesus is what we need to keep us from succumbing to all of our sins. And it will, he will save us. The gospel will save you. But you've got to get off that barge. You're going to have to get off that boat. You can't stay in that life that's being pushed on by sin. You can't stay in that life that is trying to go downriver. You've got to get off. You've got to trust him. You've got to get off. And it may hurt. It may be painful when you do. But when, when, when he brings you over to that other side, when Jesus brings you, he's bringing you from, from death and into life, and you're a new creation. And that's what Paul is getting through. That's what he's trying to drive home through this, this first chapter. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in verse 16, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation. He's saying that you can be saved. There's a consequence for your sin. You know that there's a God. You can't deny it. Even if you say you're an atheist, you can't deny it. I was an atheist for 40 years. I was angry that people wanted to push God in. Why would I be angry at something that doesn't exist? Even as an atheist, I knew in my heart there was a God. I just didn't want to admit to it because I wanted what was in my heart. Paul says he'll give that to you. He's offering you something so much better. Something so much better than our sins. He's offering you the chance of a new life, a chance of redemption, a chance of hope. He's offering you the gospel. You see, you were created on purpose and for a great purpose. And that was to live in a right relationship with God. But unfortunately, because of sin, sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve, has progressed from every generation to right now. I often use the same example. I never had to teach my kids how to lie. It's part of us. But because that's sin, we're separated from God. And so God, at just the right moment in time, He saw our greatest need, and that was for a Savior. And so He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, down to be born of a virgin, and to live that sinless life that we couldn't do. To be tempted 
as we were, but yet refused to deny the will of God. And so Christ went to the cross where he was nailed, and he suffered the wrath of God for your sins and mine. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose on the third day, proving he was who he says he was, and he could do what he says he could do. And the Bible tells us if you believe, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you too will be saved. We don't have to stay on that barge. You don't have to be swept away by your sins. You need to be rooted in Jesus. He is our firm foundation. He is the rock that we can plant ourselves on, no matter what comes. And we'll know that He's defeated death. He has won the battle. Don't let sin sweep you away. It can look tempting, but it leads to emptiness and brokenness. Come to the Savior who came to you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for... Thank you for an opportunity to gather together. Lord, while this isn't uh, the normal place and the normal way, Lord, we still were able to come and freely worship you. Lord, what an amazing gift that is, to be able to gather with, uh, with the other saints and proclaim the, the goodness that you are. Father, we know that sin is knocking right at our door. I think as, as you were speaking to Cain, and you warned him that sin is right there. Sin is waiting for Lord, we know the sin is waiting for us. Left to our own means, Lord, we know that our brokenness will lead to nothing more than more and more brokenness. Broken things do not fix broken things, but Lord, you, you bring new life. You redeem and restore. Lord, we know that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all our sins. So Lord, I pray today, I pray for those who are here that if they haven't put their faith in, in you and your son, Lord, I pray that today is the day. Lord Jesus, I pray that today is the day they call on you as Savior. To deny this brokenness that this world is pushing upon them. To not buy into the lies that you do you. Lord, I pray that today is the day that they, they get off that barge and trust in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are walking with you already, Lord, let that weigh on our hearts. Let it bring us to our knees of who you are in reverence that we can worship you. Lead us not into temptation, O oh Lord. Keep our paths straight. We pray for opportunities to share this good news with others. We pray for this city. We pray for Auburn and Concord and Bow. Lord, let us be lights in the darkness for your glory. None of this is about us, but it's all about you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of your Son. Amen.